definitely creating content that helps people is really the solution. What really works is building a community, consistently doing events like webinars, and producing content specifically for certain categories. You earn that raise and you earn that job. Welcome to Future Fuzz, the digital marketing podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the next episode of Future Fuzz. I'm delighted to have you here. Today we speak to Nicola Breyer from Quist. It's an open banking fintech solution from Berlin. We talk about uh, female leadership in the world of finance. We're talking about change management and um, the challenges of promoting uh, complicated solutions for companies. Thanks very much for tuning in again. Please do subscribe and rate us and share with anyone in your network that you think would enjoy the podcast. Thanks again. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next edition of Future First, digital marketing podcast. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today on a rainy Friday afternoon, Nicola Breyer from Quist. Hello, Nicola. How are you doing? Justin, hi. I'm doing very, very well. Hope you do. Yeah, brilliant. I'm absolutely, uh, I'm very excited about the podcast today, actually, because um, we've got some, lots of great topics to talk about. You're leading a very exciting uh, company there in Berlin. So let's let's get stuck in. Um, Nicola, tell us about your background and how you came to, to work at Quist. I'm not going to bore you with 25 years of work history, but um, my background essentially is, um, you know, changing, uh, transforming and growing companies. And I started doing that in London in the late 90s, um, and it was not internet financial services. Um, we helped, for example, build Egg, which you might still remember, um, and uh, people were not sure anyone would ever use a credit card on that internet. And then fast forward to today where, you know, now I've been in fintech again um, for the last uh, seven years um, and of which the last one and a half years of leading Quist. Um, but how I got to Quist was that I've been involved in open banking um, since basically its inception in, in 2018. Um, and so from London to Berlin, from Internet to digital, um, you know, that that's pretty much what I do. I build and I grow and I change. Brilliant. I actually had an egg credit card back in the day, and I remember being quite pleased with my egg card. So uh, would would I have been one of the early adopters then? Because uh, credit cards back then weren't really that popular across the internet, would you say? You were quite cool when you had an egg card. <laughs> Good. Try and be cool. <laughs> but tell us, <laughs> so what was it like back then? I mean, early days of the internet, sort of, right? It was quite exciting when when I worked in a uh, in a sort of first co working space I'd say in Chelsea and we had DSL so no dial up modem so this was as exciting as it could get that you could sit and basically have an ongoing uh, connection to the internet um, yes so um, you know we've we've it was very early stage when it came to technology lots of great ideas not so great always in uh, execution. Um, but it was quite exciting. Uh, and then the big crash came in 2001, and then everyone was looking for real jobs, I guess. Um, but no, I mean, we're seeing a lot of things that are happening now that were thought about at that time, uh, but we're just now in a different age of technology. And tell us about what Quist is uh, looking to achieve and what problems does Quist solve for companies? Um, Quist helps companies uh, and specifically, you know, banks, retailers, e-commerce uh, businesses, payment companies to either um, grow revenue, um, automate processes and, and thirdly, uh, reduce risk. 
And we are one of the pioneers in open banking in Europe. And open banking is basically allowing anyone, you and, you and I, um, to share our bank transaction data to our benefit. Um, and so that's what we do. We are a B2B SaaS company and um, we um, are present in Germany, Austria, uh, Spain and Portugal. Brilliant. So I'm curious, why would it be interesting for a company to, let's say, be 100% transparent when it comes to that sort of information? But it have to be transparent because you have to give um, a clear consent for anyone to access your bank transaction. So you might want to share it to get a better loan or um, to get a better mortgage because you're sharing more information um, than other people. Um, or um, you might want to use buy now, pay later, and you want to buy something that's quite expensive. Then um, retailers now um, need to uh, do an affordability check with you uh, in order to make sure that you're not running up um, too much, too much credit, and so these are use cases that that are pretty common. Or you want to connect your bank account to um, a an app, um, for instance, and we are behind the authentication on that. Right. Okay. Understood. So, it, it, would you say that it's quite a, um, a complicated technical implementation for these sorts of projects, or are you finding that it's uh, becoming more and more accessible? So, so I think what we're building is is both infrastructure, uh, you know, a regulated way of dealing with data and strong data analytics. So I think our technology is quite complex and complicated, but the way we've now built our products um, makes integration very, very easy and quick. So um, I think you know you shouldn't. That it's not it's not a complex in implementation um, once you've decided to work with us. But what we build behind the scenes is we we, we always say we make complex things simple for our customers. So let us worry about the complex stuff and, and you just get to implement a solution that enables you uh, and we tend to be in the background. Brilliant. And, and do you find, just out of curiosity, that the there are certain sectors that are, let's say, a little bit more sluggish than others? They Their, their processes are very long and they, you know, they take time to do things? Or do you really find now that organizations are much more in tune to implementing these new systems? Um, I think certain sectors certainly have adopted uh, by nature um, digital models um, faster than others. And, and, you know, as I said, payment companies, retailers, um, e-commerce players tend to be quite advanced. Um, then when you look at a really key customer segment of ours, which is traditional banks, um, they vary um, from the very large banks who are all tuned into and clued up to open banking. But some of the smaller regional players are a bit behind. And I'd say the insurance sector is probably one that uh, could still benefit from quite a lot of innovation. And insurance, uh, insurance sector, correct me if I'm wrong, is absolutely huge in Germany, isn't it? It is huge, um, um, but, but um, we at the moment do not work um, actively with the insurance sector at this point in time. Um, but, but yes, it is a huge sector and it is data rich, but it's also still, um, you know, quite um, uh, behind when it comes to wanting to share their what they think is proprietary data. Now, the way we see it is that everyone is the author of his or her own data, which is why, um, you know, we're looking also for the insurance sector to open up at some point. Uh, but probably just that's just going to happen when the regulator forces them to. To to get to okay, the regulators will force uh, force their hand, as it were. 
uh, as they did with banking. Um, and I think in the UK, it was a bit different because the UK banks actually came together quite early on to look for a, a, you know, a joint standard um, of, of how they would make data available. Um, and so there was more cooperation. But in general, in the EU, uh, banks um, didn't want to participate in this open banking scheme. And, uh, and, but they were then forced by, by regulation to do so. Nicola, I understand from speaking with your brilliant marketing team that one of your key focus areas is change management. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of those things that you've worked on in the past that are directly impacted and, and involve change management? You know, I think I've, I've sort of come to that, um, not because I wanted to, but just because it's just happened. So when you want to um, grow something, you need to make sure the foundations for growth are there. And then you look at companies um, that have, you know, been around for a bit. And, um, you know, invariably you see that, that usually you have to do um, certain things before you can actually then look to the future. Um, and that's how I ended up... Um, you know, always starting something, looking at going, uh, it's not quite where it needs to be, and then working on doing on doing that. And and you know, with with both this and the previous company, I uh, had the privilege to to be with. Um, we had to go through a significant transformation of pretty much everything in the company, as we did with Quist, which was formerly known as Finleap Connect. And over the last fifteen months, I'd say we've. We've really, um, you know, rebuilt this company to be a, you know, high-performing product and solution-focused startup um, with, you know, um, high KPI transparency and a clear identity and strategy um, as to how we approach the market. Uh, and now we're at a point where really we can, or we have started to um, really position ourselves again um, externally and, and we're really driving, driving the business forward. Is there anything that you look at first or would you say that you, you take a more holistic approach and look at all areas of the business? I was, I was just wondering if you then, you know, you come into a difficult situation or there's a lot of change that needs to take place. There's a lot of things that need to be done. What do you do first? That's a very good question, um, Justin. I think, you know, the usual thing is to start with something like a 90 or 100 day plan whereby you really look at all areas of the business. Um, usually when you look at technology companies, um, there, there are two things to focus on. One is, you know, uh, the business model and the customer base. Um, you know, how, how healthy are customer relationships and is the product future-proof? Is there, you know, product market fit? Um, and, um, and then secondly, very much obviously the cost base. Um, so you look at the business model, you look at your client base, you look at, you know, um, existing growth, then you look at the cost base and all of that isn't possible without really understanding who you have in terms of people in the company because without the right people, um, nothing will happen and without the right attitude. And, um, and, and I think that's, that's what you need to look at. And then in fintech, you also always look at regulation and compliance and you make sure that you do not have anything to worry about um, in these areas. And when you look at teams of people, um, do you how do you do do you do an assessment? Do you look at things that have been doing right and maybe things that could be improved? Do you then look to let's say hire in some superstars? How would you approach that situation? 
I think you have to be very respectful uh, for every, to everyone who's been around um, a company, um, you know, that, that inherently works in a new market and with new technology. And um, I think it's, it's very easy to look at things that aren't working well because we all have room for improvement. But I think you have to recognize knowledge and experience um, gained. And I think that's then together with, with, with attitude. So um, is probably what you, what you want to um, have. So even if someone is inherently very good, if they're potentially tired um, by having spent a lot of time in difficult situations in the company, um, you know, your ability and your knowledge aren't going to take you anywhere without the right motivation and the drive um, to continue um, and, to, and to want to uh, build something great together. Um, so I think the mix of obviously, uh, you know, is this person able uh, to fulfill the role you're looking at, um, and, but then also do they want to? I think that's really interesting that you say about people being tired because obviously they're in the role for a good reason in the first place or they've come into the company for a good reason in the first place. But if people are a little bit ragged around the edges or have been dealing with difficult situations, it's not really going to bring out the best in the team, is it? Um, I think that, yes, but it's also human, right? So, you know, if you're going through constant challenges and, and maybe also a business that hasn't got a clear direction and, and you know, has been around for a while but isn't really moving much, um, the question is, is can you as a leader ignite that spark again? And I think that's something that you need to try um, because it's, you know, obviously always better to, in the, in the beginning, to try and keep people who, um, who have knowledge and experience um, and then I think comes a point where you have to make that call and you need to recognize is, is, is moving on together the right thing for both, um, you know, your team member as, as well as for the company. And I think that's when you then make a decision. Future First is sponsored by SalesSource, B2B pipeline management and sales growth for your business. Let's uh, approach the elephant in the room. I love that saying. I, I didn't really understand what it meant until uh, someone explained it to me not so long, long ago. Um, and that is that you are a female CEO in a industry of finance, which, let's be honest, is really pretty stale and, and male-dominated. Um, so let's approach that subject and, and see if we can um, get your insights on that. What, what are your... Um, opinions on on the fact that there are not that many female uh, leaders in this sector, or am, you know, am I wrong? Is my perception wrong uh, in in this case? Your perception is not wrong um, at all. Um, I think quoting a very good friend of mine, Nadia Edwards Dashti, um, you know, we, we have to move beyond the seventeen percent, and uh, I think seventeen percent is is the number of of women in, in leadership roles in the finance and fintech world which is obviously not a lot. Um, and, but I think that's why it's one of the, the reasons why I b believe I'm also motivated to continue doing this job is that when there's someone, when there is a woman in a leading role, others will follow. Um, and so we have 38% uh, women in our organization. Um, and, you know, we, we see quite a number of female applicants. Um, and so I, I believe that we have to continue to strive um, to bring more women into the tech and in the fintech or in the finance world. Um, I think in, in large banks, I think the numbers are, are slightly better. Um, but at the same time, you know, you also have to, to um, enjoy working in this environment. And it is, 
a technically quite complex environment um, and um, and you have to enjoy um, you know changing an industry through technology so um, you know it's it's we have to do more lobbying we need to work more with also universities and 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 you know education to to bring more women into the tech sector um, and we need to develop the the understanding of what it what it is what it's like to work in a business such as ours um, but 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 yes, um, I I happen to know a lot of senior women in in our industry, and and it's a great bunch of of people, um, and so uh, it doesn't feel like that number to be honest. But that's probably because I'm in quite a quite an interesting little bubble with with my with my female uh, friends. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, well, seventeen percent does sound. Um... You know, it's, it sounds scarily low in a way. However, uh, it's going to, it obviously takes time to change, uh, change these situations. And I think you make a valid point there is looking at universities and, and where people choose, you know, where people are picking up studies, especially in the world of finance and technology. Um, we should see a, an increased balance of women moving into those fields of study and then they will move into those jobs. Um, is it because potentially that some people think that finance or banking isn't isn't that sexy? Could could that be it? Potentially, I mean, if you look at the fact that, and this is why some of some some you know startups are quite successful, that women still um, you know look at financial freedom and and really actively managing their finances a lot less than men. Um, it could even start, you know, as, as early as you become an adult and how much, how actively do you actually manage your money um, to then later on taking an interest in, in this industry. I certainly didn't say I wanted to go into the payments industry when I joined PayPal. Um, I wanted to work in a business that was innovative and I felt I could change something and move something and it happened to be a payment company. But it was also, you know, one of the most loved um, technical brands, technology brands in in, in Germany, and um, and I and that's the reason why I got in. And when I was in, I had to learn all of that technical um, and and regulatory and compliance um, stuff, um, and that was quite tough. I, I remember um, being in a meeting after three months and thinking, "Hey, I've got it now. I understand all the acronyms. I I, I get it." And this meeting ended up being about certain risk factors and I ended up sitting there going oh you have so much more to learn um so you don't I don't think anyone or a lot of people do not go into a specific industry sector simply because they love the product with maybe the exception of you know the luxury goods segment or or the consumer goods industry um but but you but you go into something at least for me where you feel that there's drive there's change there's innovation um, and um, and that's that's then um, sometimes how you find yourself in a in a specific industry. I don't know what your point of view on this is. Yeah, I, I'm going to say you're, you're making me think about how I originally got into my first, uh, you know, my job role and got into my career. Um, I absolutely loved marketing, and uh, I actually started out in hospitality. Believe it or not, my first thought was to be a hospitality manager. And, and then luckily I could change my course halfway through the first year. And then I really, really, really loved organization 
analysis and, and then on to marketing. And I fell into a position in a graduate uh, recruitment company. And that I really enjoyed because I really enjoyed being around people and um, doing events. And, and later on, that evolved to be more digital marketing. Um, it wasn't, yeah, it's a bit difficult to explain, but it wasn't like it was super sexy. But I thought, hey, I can learn a lot here and I can constantly keep learning. And I think that's the key, isn't it? Is that people people coming into their careers or wanting to have a career change, they need to focus on what can they learn and um, and how can they bring value to an organization as well. Um, and, and interesting how you got into PayPal. I mean, uh, you know, how, how did that come about? Because that's indeed a huge trusted brand in Germany. How did you get your foot in the door at PayPal? Um, I, I knew someone who, who was quite senior um, in, the, in, the, in the European leadership um, at PayPal. And we ended up staying in touch. And uh, at some point he, he got in touch and said, look, now I have a position which I think could be a good fit. And it happened to be good timing. And I think that's how generally I feel people, you know, um, when we talk about networking today as one of your key strengths, I feel that, yes, um, you know, you should build your network and, and you should use it to your advantage. But in the end, it is really a genuine interest in other people and staying in contact with them and making an effort. And at some point, something like this will come along Um um, you know, and you can't plan it, uh, but you can continue to express an interest and you can stay curious um, as to what is happening within certain businesses or with certain people and follow their careers and, and you know, and, and offer and offer anything you might be able to do for them because at, so, at some point then, you know, karma is, is playing its magic and is coming, you know, and something is coming along for you. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much how I got into nearly all of my roles, um, um, I'd say, with the exception of one or two. And, and when you and, and where were you when that happened? Was that in Berlin? Or, or I'm guessing you were in Germany, right? Yeah, yes, I had come back from from a long stint abroad, um, and I was in I was building a company for Commerce Bank, um, which was helping larger manufacturing led companies digitize and find new digital business models. And um, you know, I felt that the the, the our biggest big shareholder of the bank was not really fostering the business we we were building. And so um, I was starting to look um, where my drive for change and growth um, could, 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 you know, find a, a new home. Um, and, and this is when, when I had coffee with him and it just ended up being good timing. I once went to a wedding in Texas where I was sitting on the same table as a uh, an older lady but she was great fun she was really chatty and she and I just sort of asked her a few questions you know just having a bit of a chat and I found out that she was the bodyguard to Jackie Kennedy and um I was like how on earth did you become the bodyguard of Jackie Kennedy and and she told me how she trained to be a firearms officer Young, young age, she was like one of the few um, women that were doing that. And um, she was living in uh, Washington at the time. She'd moved from um, Texas to Washington. And that's how she, you know, got into that world and um, was picked for that role. And she said to me after you know, this, these amazing stories, she said to me that it all hangs off where you are. So the city that you're in or the place that you're in 
really does have a huge um, impact on on uh, you know the kinds of opportunities you're going to find, and I actually love that. So for me, I lived three years in Berlin. I had a great time in Berlin, <laughs> and then I've been in Amsterdam, and I've been in London, and I think you know there's there's so many different opportunities in every every different city aren't there? So it was a, yeah, just a little story that I wanted to share. She was absolutely fantastic. If she's still alive and she listens to the podcast, uh, hello. <laughs> that is such a cool story. I love that story. Apologies. No, I think you're absolutely right in terms of, you know, the space. And uh, when I lived in London, I kind of always looked at Berlin and I thought, you know, um, what, what would have to happen for me to be able to go back? And, um, Berlin has really evolved as, into, you know, a, a company, uh, sorry, a city where you can really have fantastic careers now. But that wasn't always the case. Um, you know, the digital scene has made Berlin um, attractive again for, for so many people. But we never had real industry or, or you know, um, uh, you know, very, very large um, car manufacturers or anything because we were a city surrounded by a wall. Um, and, um, and, and so I think all of this has happened really since, uh, the early 2000s and it's quite staggering. Um, we're in a community where we're now bringing, um, one, a major, uh, tech con conference together in Berlin for, for the first time for, for the FinTech hub next year. And, uh, the interest is, is, is outstanding. And, and I think so also cities go through cycles, uh, and that's quite cool to see as well. Yeah, the change in Berlin has been absolutely staggering indeed. Um, I, I, I lived on Strelau for a while. I was lucky enough to rent a little place in Altschalau. And if you look at how much that city has changed and the kind of people that, that are there now, it's absolutely, yeah, mind-blowing in a way. Um, some some things for good, some things maybe not not for the better, but let's see. Nicola, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. As the old saying goes, time flies when you're having fun. We've reached the end. Um, just before you go, it would be great to hear just a little bit about what your plans are for Quist and, uh, you know, where you want to, where, where the company wants to be in the next year. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, we're very much focusing, and this is, comes back to your, your topic of marketing, we're very much focusing on continuing to establish um, us, ourselves in our key markets and, and, and foster top-line growth. Um, you know, I think we're quite happy with our, our product setup at now, which we will continue to innovate, but, but really it is now to go out into the market and, and um, convince more people that, that working with us is, uh, you know, pleasant as well as lucrative for them. And I think that's my that's my that's my key focus. That's our key focus for for next for next year. So sales and marketing, uh, a strong focus um, for for our company for for twenty twenty four. Fantastic, Nicola. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. Thanks for tuning in and making the choice to listen to this podcast. If you liked what you've heard today, please don't forget to subscribe.